Literature and Psychology by Dr. Saideh Malik Afzali, Dr. Daniel Rockers, and Dr. Alex Andrade from Tabana Organization. Tabana is a non-profit mental health organization organized in Sacramento, California. Tabana seeks to help individuals and families to strengthen their capabilities and to thrive. Aired on Saturdays and Sundays from 12 to 1 o'clock weekly. A very warm hello to our listeners uh, from Radio Bombdot. We are sitting with Dr. Rockers, Dr. Andrade. And if you didn't listen to our previous conversation regarding the questions we asked for reconnecting or connecting and the value of the questions and also getting to uh, know the other person in a gathering, in a party, in a place, in a uh, work. So we talked about that extensively. And today we want to talk about the value of questions we ask ourselves to get to know ourselves, because sometimes we are so busy with daily life, with our busy life with work and family or other relations uh, at, uh, in life that we forget about ourselves. And we forget about sometimes we need to stop and ask questions to get to know ourselves. Uh, I remember myself when I first came to this country, one of the questions uh, I was asked uh, was, after being in high school, uh, getting um, acquainted with the culture, uh, one of the teachers I remember, they asked me, Saide, five things you like and five things you don't, dis- you don't like or dislike. And at that point I thought, oh my gosh, I don't even know what I like, what I don't like. I have to think about it. I mean, that simple question stopped me. And, and then I thought, I need to know myself better. And that was way back when I was in high school. And from that point on, I started to really take this question, more, this question more seriously to do I know what I like, what I don't like? Do I know myself? And this has been going on all my life and with my experiences. And the more I think about it, I realize how important it is to ask this question from ourselves. And I want to hand it to our, one of our colleagues to continue this conversation. Well, I do want to mention, too, a, a brief kind of uh, news update to uh, our listeners in regards to an exclusive. I wish I could do like an echo exclusive, exclusive, exclusive or something like that. <laughs> you just have to do the end of the word exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. There we go. Perfect. Yes. Thank you, Daniel. So an exclusive episode of Culture and Psychology Plus, Psychology Plus, where we talk with Saide about her experience in playing golf. And so that'll actually be aired on the Psychology Plus uh, podcast uh, featuring myself and you two wonderful colleagues of mine. Uh, You can find it on Apple or Spotify. I'm actually on Spotify now. Uh, You can search it under Psychology Plus, as well as uh, my name, Alex Andrade. And yeah, you'll get to hear the full episode of Daniel and Saide and me playing golf and uh, trying to help Saide, you know, use her athletic abilities in a new sport. Uh, In the episode two, I also want to uh, encourage you to listen and support to uh, local women business, uh, to local women 
businesses. Uh, a good friend of mine, Gavina, and my cousin, Brianna. And so you'll get to hear about their businesses. And so I'm excited to bring you this exclusive episode of all three of us on the Psychology Plus podcast. So check that out as well. Alex, I'd love to listen to Brianna and your other colleagues. It would be wonderful to listen and see what they do and what businesses they have. It's okay on this episode if you want to talk about that because uh, we like to hear that too. Well, yeah, they, uh, Gavina, she does uh, like purses, pillows. Uh, she like sews and creates them with a lot of artistic uh, kind of uh, emphasis on it. Um, a lot of it actually is tied to the Latino culture as well. So it's the really interesting and uh, really beautiful uh, pieces that she creates. And then my cousin, Brianna, she makes and bakes uh, cookies, cakes, uh, all kinds of delicious things. Uh, and so they're both local business owners here in Sacramento and uh, just want to really encourage and support them as well. Uh, these are two individuals who are hardworking and trying to, you know, kind of spread their, their name and spread their, their work out into the community. I love to hear more about that. And I love to get the information from you, Alex, to visit their site and just see how we can support them. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I wanted to let uh, uh, listeners know, too, if you check out my Instagram, you can connect to them as well directly. My uh, handle on Instagram is at Dr. Andrade J-R. So that's D-R-A-N-D-R-A-D-E-J-R. And there's uh, links to the episode of Psychology Plus, as well as there'll be links to uh, the Culture and Psychology Plus, Psychology Plus episode, and to those business owners as well who, who do follow me as well. So yeah, that way, if people are listening and they want to be able to connect with them, they can do that through them. Awesome. So back to our conversation. We want to get to know ourselves better, so we need to ask questions. So I want to hand it to Dr. Rockers about this important topic of, I think, life. Why is it important to know yourself? That's the initial question here. We're talking about reconnecting with people, social integration, and in getting back into social groups often after COVID. But why is it important to know yourself is a question that I'm thinking of. And where does that come from? How, when I first heard about this when I was younger, like you need to know yourself, this was in the 70s. Like, how can you not know yourself? Am I not always with myself all the time? So how is it possible that I don't know myself? What do you guys think? What are your, what's your take on it? Why, how, how can it be? I think I know myself. I think I know who I am. How could I not know myself? I can, I can respond to this. I think it's easy not to know who you are. You may just know your sensitivity or just some of this stuff that is very obvious, but I think personally, until I didn't go to psychology field and I learned so much about different, different things um, and then the way the brain works, the way our emotion works, just knowing uh, a lot about the psychological part caused me to really realize more about myself. And I, I still to this day, I feel like you have to take time to get to, to yourself and get to know yourself better because still I think it's a lot of work. It's not that easy even for us knowing a lot about psychology, knowing a lot about emotions, knowing about the hormones, 
brain, how it works, and all of that we know, theories, getting into the deeper level of you, asking all those questions that we know how to ask, still there are parts, there are the shadows that um, Dr. Jung talks about, the um, art of, um, art, uh, what, what was it? I forgot the word. Archetypes, the archetypes. archetypes. Archetypes, all of that. You know, I mean, really when you think about all these little things that each psychologist brought up and um, they're very deep and I still feel like it's a lot of work for ourselves, even as psychologists, to, to know ourselves. So it's not really an easy question. It, it has to go through a lot of questioning, a lot of deeper level of understanding uh, yourself. I think a lot of times people view it as a luxury to know ourselves too. It's like, well, you know, I'm busy with life and working and doing things. I don't have time to sit down and ponder these things about who I am and what makes me. But I feel like if we don't do that, even, you know, it doesn't have to be a therapeutic context necessarily, but if we don't do that, then sometimes things could end up playing in our life, uh, playing out in a way that we maybe don't want them to. And so it allows us to reflect, you know, what is driving some of these maybe behaviors or these patterns that we find in our life that maybe aren't congruent with what we're actually wanting. And so I think that could be one of the benefits of getting to know ourselves and understanding what maybe plays into some of those behaviors, some of those patterns uh, just seeming to recur almost automatically in that way. Are you guys familiar with the Johari window? Uh, yes. Johari window. Can, do you want to say more or shall I go for it? Either I can maybe start and then you can uh, see how much I know and you can add to it. What I know from Johari Quadrant is that uh, we know what we know. We know what we don't know. We don't know what we know. We don't know what we don't know. So there are four parts to each person. Uh, there are parts that we know about ourselves. There are parts that we know we don't know, or, or even knowledge of the world, knowledge of who we are or knowledge of life in anything, when you expand this, there are parts that you know what you know, but there are parts that you know that you don't know. And then think about you don't know what you know because there are parts that we know, but we don't know we know. And there are parts that we don't know what we don't know. This is how much in summary I can talk about Johari Quadrant. No. <laughs> so many no's in there. I don't even know what I know now. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, my understanding of Johari window is very similar to that. And it has to do with stuff that's known to this, to ourselves and stuff that's known to other people. So it's a bit of a refinement on what you said, kind of a, maybe a smaller version of that. There's some things that we know about ourselves and that others know about ourselves. I know it and you know it about me. There are some things that I know about me that you don't know about me, and that's my private stuff. And then there's some things that you know about me that I don't know about me. In organizational psychology, they would call the difference in the things I know about me is my own identity. 
And then the things others know about me, but I don't necessarily know is my reputation. And one of the reasons why it's so important to know that stuff is because, yes, there are things that are operating beneath conscious level, which cause us to act or do certain things in certain ways. We see this in post-traumatic stress often because something is inside the person and it is causing them to avoid things or it shows up in their dreams. And it's very challenging for them to get at that thing. So that's just to say that's the existence of stuff that is in the what we call unconscious mind, but it is important. There's often things that other people can see in us that we don't see or don't know in ourselves or that we might be trying to hide from other people too. I so like your version a lot. I what's really, that? I like your version about this because I often talked about that in a scope of the universe, who we are, where we are in this world. But then the way you described it, I really like that because that makes complete sense that when you put it in Johari quadrant, it makes complete sense. And also from that uh, perspective that I knew about it also would work. I always saw that, who am I in this universe? I know what I know. I don't know what I don't know. You know what I mean? And, and I was putting it from my perspective of life and where, we are, where I am in that. But then now you open another door, which is way more interesting because in communication and interaction with people, this is really important. But then getting to know what people know about you, that's the challenge because how can you have people open up? With that, we got to the first break. We come back and we want to hear more from Dr. Andrade. Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, and we, um, if you didn't hear us uh, the first part and you just turned on your radio, we were talking about how do we know ourselves? And um, the question is, do we know ourselves? 
and uh, Dr. Rockers and I talked about it, and now we want to hear from Dr. Andrade. Yes, happy to share my uh, my views and my opinions on it. I think it is something that's an ongoing process too. I think it's the increased awareness of our identity as we grow up, and it's something that becomes kind of more more solid, more tangible. I always say it's it's no surprise that the emergence of a lot of mental health issues come at a point where we have the the capability to reflect on our sense of self and our identity. And especially as that parallels what's happening in the world where we're forming uh, major parts of our identity, such as our career, uh, you know, significant relationships. Uh, so a lot of uh, mental illness tends to emerge in kind of early uh, mid-20s which is a time where we're even more aware of this idea of who we are, how we are, how we see ourselves, how other people see themselves as well. And so it's as we're emerging into adulthood, our emotions have kind of tapered a little bit from adolescence. We can actually have a greater cognitive understanding of that question, not only who are we, but also to the autonomy at that point, a lot of times to start to influence who we are and who we want to be versus again, when we're young uh, systems influence our ability to uh, kind of be who we are, whether it's our parents or school um, or, you know, lack of resources, you know, we don't, we don't have a job. We don't have money. We can't just kind of do those things that we're wanting to do. So a lot of times that question tends to, or excuse me, some of these questions that we could even reference start to really kind of uh, roll around in our minds around that time in our life. And I think continue throughout the rest of our life, that idea of who do we want to be? How do we want to be uh, that reflection of self? Yeah, you want to know yourself and you want to know in what directions you want to grow. So self-reflection can help you know yourself better. And those things that you're talking about, Alex, are when we go, how do you want to grow? Because if you think about it, it can be very limiting if you think you're really good in one area and you're actually not that good in one area, that's a real limiter because you're not going to work on that area and you don't even know that you're limited in that area. So self-knowledge, very important. Know about your own deficits. But also I think, my thinking on this is that self-knowledge is so critical in the sense of self-acceptance. We want to be able to accept ourselves as we are, which does not equate with not wanting to change. A lot of times people, I think, mistake this idea of acceptance with resignation, that there's not hope in there. Have you guys seen this in your practice at all? Working to get people to accept that they, they don't want to because they want to get better, so they don't accept where they are. Yeah, I struggle with even that idea of acceptance because, yeah, I find that's what people feel a lot of times. Like, this is how it is. Acceptance is like, this is how it is. And we have to like surrender to that almost where it's like, no, we can accept these challenges, these difficulties that we maybe have. And how do I want to try to move forward? And how do I want to try to grow even by knowing those more? So if we can look at those things that feel challenging for us is not proof of, of failure or proof of, of weakness, but instead, like you're saying that acceptance, this is something I struggle with. And sometimes there's things that we can do to improve upon it, or there's other areas in our life that 
you know, we, we do have maybe greater option to influence. And so it's not just that, like you said, resignation, like, oh, well. No, I think definitely acceptance um, is accepting that something has happened, that we cannot change it, it's past, and just accept it and move forward. Now it's upon you to change it. Accept that this has happened. Accept you did this. Accept somebody did this to you. But now what? Then move on and try your best to work uh, on challenges that you're going to be facing, whether um, about changing you or changing your lifestyle and all of that. But I want to go back to our conversation about um, the Johari um, quadrant, because I really like uh, that the idea. And I want to just open this question that whether people are open to know what other people think about them. Um, I have a group of women um, that we meet um, basically and annually. They're a bunch of educated, um, either administrators from different schools, setting, um, psychologists, all um, pretty much um, well um, worth um, people that you really like to associate with. And this is just annual. And usually it's under gratitude meeting. So people write a poem, bring a poem, talk about something. It's um, a lot to do with values, a lot to do with our perception from life and a lot of sharing. And it's just two, three hours meeting and um, you know, just a nice gathering. And one of the things that um, in this gathering usually we do is talking about being open to hear um, just what other people, even close relatives, even, uh, you know, our loved ones think about us. And, and that opens the door to realize um, what what kind of person you are and what and what are the differences from what you think you are and other people see you and we often talk about how difficult it is to be open to criticism to be open to even constructive criticism or, or even constructive you know opinion about um different things or or you so um one of the things actually we did in this meeting was being open to each other, to start with people that you value, you know, they're not just complaining to complain. And uh, because they know you, they talk about both qualities and things you can improve. And I think it takes a lot of guts to be open to that because people don't want to. People don't want to listen to if there's something negative about you. And I think it takes a lot of courage and a lot of effort in opening this. Um, and, and I would definitely like to do more of this. Um, I mean, because I, I believe that we are not here just to work, uh, gain money, um, just have our own personal life and leave. We are here to um, not only, uh, you know, 
having a life for yourself, but also you need to get better as you leave this world. You want to have done something, you know, extra and if not extraordinary that 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 I probably think people want that. But how do we get to that? If we don't improve ourselves to begin with, how do we want to get to that? Right. It's so important. So important to improve ourselves. One of the best lessons that happened to me was a recommendation by a therapist many years ago, 30 years ago. He recommended that I was having some problems at work and he recommended that I ask some people at work what they thought I should work on in myself that I was wanting to improve myself. And he had me pick the person who would be easiest to go ask and the person who would hardest to go ask this question of, and then somebody somewhere in between. The one that I remember is the one who was the hardest to go ask. And this was a guy I had a bunch of run-ins with before, but my therapist is very smart. He laid it out ahead of time, how to do it, that you make sure you set up a time and you be intentional about it. And you go and do that. And it was very scary to do that. I think that's what you're referring to side is it's very scary because, and it reveals, and I think this is true about most everybody. It reveals that we all have things that we think we're kind of keeping inside and keep it to ourselves and maybe other, we don't want other people to see it, but you know what? Most of the time they see it and they already know it. They may not say it, but they already know it. So yeah, that was such a great exercise. It was a very powerful exercise and I learned a lot. And you know what he said, and this is so true. I remember it to this day. He said, Dan, you might think that by going and asking somebody like that, that when you're opening up and being vulnerable, you will have that you, you might think you have no power. He says, but you'll find just the opposite is true. That when you do that, if you do that and you open in that way, he says, you'll find you have even more power. Mm-hmm. And he was not wrong. He was not wrong. When I went, I remember going to do that. My heart was pounding and I had no idea what this guy was going to say. And I knew he didn't like me and I didn't like him either. So it was a mutual dislike. And I had been not very nice to him in some ways. But when I asked him that question, I thought he was going to rip me up. And he didn't rip me up. He was genuine and he responded genuinely. And a lot of that were things that I kind of already knew about myself, didn't really like about myself. So it was a very powerful exercise. That's one way that I have recommended to my clients. It's not easy and it does take a bit of effort, but it's one of those kind of surprising, amazing things to do. Have you ever done? Well, I was just say, say you probably disarmed him by being so vulnerable. And sometimes by being vulnerable, we actually have more power than we even realize, like your, your therapist was mentioning. And yeah, I find that to be true too. And it's, it's almost, it's almost counterintuitive. A lot of times people, you know, it's, I, I've encouraged something similar 
and that idea that in vulnerability is great strength. And, and a lot of people are very hesitant. They're like, no, no, no. What do you mean? Like, I'm going to be so like open and they're going to, they're going to, you know, seize that opportunity to have an onslaught of these slights and these hurts. And instead the person is like, oh, wow, you, you came to me in such openness. And then they'll actually more often than not want to meet you with that same type of openness or vulnerability. Yeah. Right. And I definitely feel like when you accept that in this part, it was your mistake or, or what you said wasn't right or what you did wasn't right, exactly what you guys said, rather than uh, taking so much effort to keep that ego up when you reveal that, yes, I made a mistake, I shouldn't have done that, all of a sudden, all this load on your shoulder is going to be off. But carrying this load to defend yourself all the time, you know, it's very different when you know absolutely you demean something or you your intention wasn't that. So you're defending yourself and then you really know what you're saying. But when you know you didn't do the right thing or you didn't really behave the way you should have in this regard or whatever the case is, when you admit to it, all of a sudden the load is off your shoulder. You have said it and you didn't carry it all the time with yourself. So this is really important to really distinguish where we are with our ego. This is not damaging the ego. This is actually raising your good ego up. You know, you're, you're proud of yourself for who you are and how how much courage you have to reveal what you thought it wasn't right. And this is, this is important. And, and back to what you said, uh, Dan, regarding, you know, um, talking to someone um, and, and sharing um, your point and then listening to the other person. Uh, in our previous work, when I was an admin in high school, we had 360 degree evaluation. And um, so our, uh, the people who are working with us as admin, uh, they were supposed to evaluate you um, with all the set questions that was created from HR. And then the parents and the students were doing the same thing with teachers. And then we were doing to the top management executive director and the directors. And when you said it was a scary, the first time we were doing this for the first time, everybody was a scare because they didn't know what they're getting from people that they work with them. And it, it obviously felt good if, if it was good. And I'm sure um, with people that they were complaining or they were saying things, it was not right. And then for a while, I was just thinking, obviously, they're saying all these nice things about you because they're working with you. But it was anonymous. Nobody knew who the person was. And the other thing is, I generally think people are genuine when they're evaluating because there's something psychologically there that it you can't lie too much. If you do in one area, you're going to be cut in the other area. It's more like MMPI 2 questionnaire because the way the questions are, you can't lie. Somewhere else, you're going to be cut up. So um, it's interesting that how uh, you are fearful 
to see what people say. It's not easy. I think too, with the valuations, people also know that they're going to be uh, evaluated as well. So they'll want to actually make it useful because otherwise it's like, okay, well, I'm going to sit here and, you know, sabotage these people, but like, then what are, what are they going to do to me? I think so. If a person thinks they're going to do that to others in a negative way, then they may receive that too, versus like, okay, well, let me do this in a more positive way. And maybe others will do that too. And the other thing was that every time we had a staff development, we had a questionnaire. How was this part of a staff development? How was this session? How was this topic? And then for the most part, there was always, always one person who was negative about the whole thing. It was like nothing was working. So every time, and it was anonymous. So every time I was looking at the evaluation of all the staff developments throughout the year, there was always one person who was always, everything was not working. So sometimes you just wonder how, because other people might say, oh, I like this topic, this was this, but I didn't like this topic because it wasn't worthwhile to sit there for you know, 60 minutes or whatever. But then there was only one person who often complained about everything. So then I was just always taking this very seriously that next time when we do another staff development, I have to be very cautious. People didn't like this part. So we need to make sure next time we do something that people like and this. So you put all your consciousness into take something from this evaluation so that you can improve your staff development next time. But then immediately I could say that there is one person in this whole group that there is something wrong with this person. (laughs) (laughs) That nothing is working for, for her or him. I didn't know. But anyways, we got to our break. We come back to continue our conversation. من سعیده ملک افسلی هستم به همراه دو تن از دوستان و همکارانم از شرکت توانا دکتر راکرز و دکتر انراده امروز در خدمتون هستیم اگر تازه رادیوتون رو باز کردین و صدای ما رو میشنوین ما از رادیو بامداد روزهای شنبه و یک شنبه به زبان انگلیسی صحبت میکنیم و صحبت های امروزمون بیشتر در مورد این بود که چیکار کنیم که خودمون رو بهتر بشناسیم و در دو قسمت اول برنامه راجع به این صحبت کردیم که چطور سوال کنیم از خودمون تا بتونیم خودمون رو بهتر بشناسیم و اینکه در ارتباط با نزدیکانمون دوستانمون کسانی که کار میکنیم توجه داشته باشیم که اونا چه سوالی در مورد ما دارن و چطوری ما رو میبینن برمیگردیم دوماله صحبتمون رو در آخرین قسمت مکالماتمون ادامه میدیم
We're back with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, and we want to continue our conversation regarding how do we know ourselves, what kind of questions we ask of ourselves to get to know ourselves, and what does that mean, and how do we want to improve and what we do. And if you just turn on your radio and you haven't listened to the first two parts, our conversation was mainly about how do we question ourselves to get to know um, who we are, what we like, uh, what how people see us and how people and how is our reputation among other people. One thing that comes to mind too is this idea between just to make a little bit of a distinction between why and how. And what I find a lot of times is when we ask this question, you know, why, why am I this way? Why am I this? We can sometimes end up spiraling to a place where we feel like we we can't really figure out kind of that deeper meaning. I think why can be a very helpful question, but I find it it's a little bit more helpful to start at like how. And I think that's what we've kind of been talking about indirectly uh, in that example you gave earlier, Daniel. You know, how do other people see you? How do other people think you know your your work ethic is or you know challenges? And that sometimes I think we can we can use that a little bit more than just why. Like you know, if you were to ask why don't you like me to that guy, I mean that's you know what what are we what are we really going to gather from that versus you know how do you you know uh, see my work or how can I grow even things like that uh, that gives us a little bit more action I find sometimes so that's one way too I think in, in reflecting on. The self-exploration, if we're asking these questions, you know, how does this feel or how do I do this? We can can kind of start from there. You mean like it's a better way of knowing ourselves? I think it's a more concrete way to start the process. If we say, you know, why am I this way? We could speculate all kinds of different things. But if we say, well, how do I communicate? How do I you know, interact with others? How do I, uh, that, that we can take inventory of a little, little bit more. Right. Right. I think also it does start with this acknowledgement that there are aspects of myself that I don't know about mm-hmm. things. I don't really know. I had a good example of that when I joined Toastmasters, which is a organization to help people with get better at public speaking. And what they do at the Toastmasters meeting is everybody gets an opportunity to speak during the meeting, but there is one person designated, different person each meeting, who is designated as the, what they call the awe counter and the grammarian. And that person is listening to everybody's speech to see how many times do they use filler words like uh or um or ah. And you could have asked me before I went in there how often I say that And I am quite sure I would not have been able to give you an accurate estimate of how many times I do that. It's a great example, I think, of not knowing ourselves. And the first step to making the change is to accept that, okay, there may be something I don't know about myself. And the second step is, well, what are those things about myself? And once we have that, then we can go with your question, which is, okay, how do I go about fixing that? That's what you're suggesting, right, Alex? Yeah, that as well as even how do I communicate? And it's, you need that feedback of, um, yeah, things like that. And that's a small thing. That's even, I mean, it is a big thing. I don't mean to uh, minimize it, but compared to some other psychological things where I might be extra defensive or 
irritable or whatever, all of those things become these even bigger issues, which if I don't know it, I'm going to have a really hard time making a change of it. And what, what spurred that though, is in that list of questions that we had referred to is what words or phrases do you most overuse? <laughs> and for me to think about that, or each of you to think about that right now, I'm not sure I could come up with what I know in my mind, I am overusing at this point. Would you guys, would you know, side A, would you I know? Do. Yeah. I think when I'm short of connecting what I wanted to say, I usually say, you know, and that's, that's something that I use a lot. And I'm, I'm conscious, conscientious of um, not use it as much, but it's a filler for me to come up with something else I want to say, you know, you know, (laughs) there you are. Also, um, English is your second language, right? It is. Yes. I would guess that makes a little bit of a difference too, that sometimes in terms of searching for the word, do you think that is the case? Because in my first language, I have another program that I do podcasts and on that one, I also know what word I use as a filler, you know, and, and that word in, in uh, Farsi is darvoke, but it's like in reality. And I use that as a filler to come up with the next, the next wording, you know. Alex, what about you? Do you have a word or phrase that you know you or that you most overuse that you know of? Yeah. Well, it reminds me of a, a joke. There's a joke by a comedian, uh, George Lopez, and uh, I think a couple other uh, Mexican-American, Latino uh, comedians make this joke that there are certain words that people have gravitated to in the language that they overuse. And uh, one is the word basically. So you'll use the word basically for everything like, oh, basically this, basically that, where it's probably not the actual, the most accurate place to put the word but people have kind of gravitated to that uh, for some reason. So there's a, a little humor in that way for myself. Actually, this is funny. We mentioned this. <clears throat> I just got feedback from uh, a, a, a subscriber to one of my podcasts uh, who will give me feedback in the most brutally honest way ever. And as people probably guess, that's my mom. Uh, she <laughs> said, you overuse the word. Yeah. A lot. And I was like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, there I go. As soon as she said it, I found myself doing that. So I have tried to cut down on the ums and the likes, but I'm sure yeah has just ended up replacing that. So that's something I'm keeping an eye out for myself right now. A lot of yeahs. Now, I haven't noticed you guys, either of you two using the word literally, but I think that's one of those words that, George Lopez might be referring to because I hear people using literally all the time when literally it's not, they're not, it's not something that's literally, they use it just as an emphasizer instead Mm of no, that isn't what literally is. Yeah. yeah. It's like basically too. Yeah. Literally, basically. Yeah. I actually, Alex, I think the translation of what I say in my Farsi podcast, my Persian podcast is actually basically. Mm-hmm. It's like, <laughs> basically, you know, it's the same. And I use that a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, whenever I'm short of saying my next sentence, I have it. I need to have a filler that maybe we need to even 
pause. Is it better to pause than using those filler? I think so. That's what I've tried to do. I tried to just say nothing in in there. Okay, so maybe that Daniel? that's good, that's a good um, feedback. I think Daniel's yeah, my, pausing right now as a, as a, an example. <laughs> trying hard not to say something yeah. <laughs> that I didn't want to be saying. In the Toastmasters, the, this I remember a specific time when I was giving a speech. I didn't put those in, but I also didn't know what to say. So I just paused. And then the feedback that came after that presentation was, wow, Pacing was very good. <laughs> you seemed very relaxed. Mm, mm. It, and no one said it seemed like you didn't know what to say. Mm. It just said it just really liked the pacing of it. So I would vote the same as Alex. Yes, better to just pause and yeah. move forward from there. I bet you that mine is the and. I think. I'm noticing now as I'm talking that I connect a lot of my sentences with and. So that, that becomes a part of that. That's that. What do we not know about ourselves that we do? Or what do we know about ourselves that we do? There's no way I could, could correct some of these overused phrases or words in myself if I don't know that I'm doing them. If I right, have no knowledge right. of doing them. Imagine now something that is in your behavior, in your uh, interaction that people remind you of, or how could you, I mean, where we talked about questions that we ask ourselves to get to know ourselves. What is it in our interaction that is coming out when you're interacting with people, whether good or bad? Are you open to criticism? Are you open to, um, you know, listening to people for, long time and don't say anything and don't make comments or don't have judgment. I mean, these are just basic questions we can ask, but there's so many questions we can ask when it comes to communication, when it comes to interaction, but also as a person, there are so many good questions we can ask ourselves. Now I want to ask if any of us could help our listeners because mostly we have this conversation to get a bit of help to our listeners. What would be good questions to give to our listeners to ask themselves in order to start with knowing themselves? What, what to are ask, questions? To ask themselves or ask other people about themselves? To ask themselves to begin with is safest is asking themselves and then they can get into interaction with others and asking others the question. They have to start with themselves because one of the most important thing is we talked about that in life. We need to know who we are, what, what are our purposes, where we are going, um, how do we want people know us when we leave the world? I mean, all of those questions, but but then when it comes to interaction, it's different. But I want for our listeners to, because there's some, I'm sure they want us to tell them how to start, where to start. It's a big question. I, I like it. but And, and I, my automatic thought is going towards like a very therapeutic answer in regards to increasing self-awareness and self-exploration. But I think if I were in, in thinking of uh, of our listeners, 
And without having to go through all that <laughs> explanation as to what we normally do and how that plays out, I think I'd encourage kind of a maybe a positive kind of approach or emphasis on that idea of like, how can I, how do I want to be kind to myself today? Or how do I want to be kind to myself in this moment? Or even maybe even a step back, how do I, how do I approach myself with more kindness? Or how do I allow that? Something along those lines and seeing as an opportunity to be increasingly kind because it's not that we maybe aren't kind but i think we could always be a little bit kinder to ourselves a little bit more compassionate with ourselves and so i think that would be that that way it makes it where we're wanting to give to ourselves or wanting to be uh, we want to explore that way i would go a little different direction i'm not contrasting it with yours alex or making any value judgments on yours i think yours is a great idea Thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. <laughs> Just that I am supplementing your D- different different views are welcome, Daniel. Yes, my answer too. And I would suggest along the lines of projection, we tend to see things in other people that we don't really accept in ourselves. Make a list of all the things that are bothersome or irritating about other people. And then take a look at that list and begin to ponder that and see, well, what parts of these are in me? And see if you can understand yourself better in that way. So no, Alex, not uh, subtracting from what you said there. Yeah. And, and that's a great idea. You're talking about our shadows because there's something about us that probably we don't like and it's hidden. We don't know. It's like a shadow. And then when we see on other people, all of a sudden we don't like it. We become um, on guard. Um, and that might be something in ourselves that we don't like. And then when you start exploring that, it becomes very interesting. It becomes more in awareness um, interaction with that person rather than trying to avoid the person. You have to try actually to see what is it in this person uh, or what is it in, in this society or community that when I'm there, this bothers me. It's something probably within me. It's a very good start. Or how do I for example, can deal with my anger. Uh, and, and if you realize that something really trigger you to become angry, what is, what is that? And then just start questioning uh, some of these um, details of what has happened. Why when someone said this, I all of a sudden it triggered my anger. With all these uh, small things that happens and Mostly when you really talk to people, you realize that it's not the actual wording that is bad or it's, um, you know, you dislike. It's the situation that when you separate these two, then you realize there's something else went to your mind um, on that that bothered you or made you angry or, or sometimes, uh, you know, just explore that. Uh, so when we say self-awareness, this whole um, questionings that we have 
um, or the shadow thing that you said, these are very good start for our listeners if they want to start getting to know themselves. Or, or if in a relationship, there are so many things that make them uncomfortable or angry or sad or whatever, then ask themselves, where were you when you were happy in life? Or what relationship made you happy? Where, you know, these kind of questions from um, like, um, uh, you don't want even if you get to deeper level, even basic questions, where was I in life when I was very happy? Then start writing them down and, and see what situation was that? Who were you with? What was the context or what was the setting? All these questioning makes you be aware of who you are and what are things that make you happy? What are things that make you angry or sad or whatever emotions we're talking about? I think sometimes too, the, the question is sometimes more important than the answer. And what I mean by that is sometimes even just hearing a question, you'll have an emotional kind of reaction or response. And that sometimes is so valuable to say like, what is that? What is that within you? I recently watched a movie and throughout the movie, this character was being asked the question, are you happy? And you can tell like each time he's like, yeah, no, I'm happy. Yeah. Things are great. You know, and you can tell, uh, and as the movie went on, this character revealed like, no, he wasn't happy. And, and that question was being posed to him. And you can almost see like a little bit of a twinge each time that that question was asked. And so, although he gave a generic stock re- answer each time later, he was able to explore and share like, yeah, you know, that, that felt away or actually I'm, I'm not happy. And this is, this is what it feels like. So even hearing some of those questions, and I think that's why uh, I, I think we either talked about on this episode or a previous episode, you know, what is your idea of perfect happiness? If you're if the feeling of elation comes with that and you're like, oh, this and that, and you're sharing that, or if there's a bit of a, like a twinge, like, ooh, like, oh, happiness, like, what is that? That uh, could be so informative. And, and again, part of that growth process, maybe that means you're far away from what you identify as happiness. And maybe there is some work that, that needs to be done so that you can get closer to that. Very good. Um, thank you for um, a good conversation today. We are at the end of our conversation and just like always, we want to have our final statements regarding um, we need to ask questions of ourselves in order to get to know ourselves. So we start with Dr. Andrade. I was going to say Daniel's the, 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 the answer guy. So I was going to go with him, but you know, hold on, let me, let me step to the plate. <clears throat> All right. Let's see what I can do. Uh, yeah. I just want to encourage people. I mean, I, I think, to understand ourselves, to know ourselves, is an ongoing process. Uh, it's about starting. That's the most important piece. Uh, it's not about finalizing it or getting to that point where you're fully self-aware and, and fully grown. I always jokingly say, I've never met a done person. I think we're always growing. We're always evolving. So the fact that you're doing that now, that's, that's the important piece. I would stick with my original suggestion, which is make a list of the things you don't like about other people and then think about in what ways that might be, some of you might be in that. And whatever my colleague said, plus um, just be courageous and uh, try to be ready for 
criticism, for constructive suggestions, and just uh, try to get away from the fear that what happens if you hear something that you don't like. And just be courageous. If it's important for you to improve yourself, it's really important to open up to constructive criticism and find people that you accept their um, recommendation, you value them. And it's very important to start with someone that you know they don't have anything except the best for you. So they give you their honest opinion. With that, I wanna thank my colleagues, Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, and I wish you a wonderful week ahead.
خانی لحظه های زندگی چون موج دریا گرچه سرد و سخت زیبا موج این دریا گرد از سر سرنوشتت سر چه حافظ پای کوبان و غزل خان لشکر غم را به سوزان بر فلک صفی نمانده این زمانه هر بزن تا بی کرانه سرنوشت را باید از سرنوشت شاید این با کمی بهتر نبرد آشقی را غرق در باور نبرد قصه ها را به سیدی گر نبرد از کجاییم باور آمد گر رود سر بر نگردد سر نبه به سینی از سر نبه به سینی از سر بامداد صدای ما و شما با زبانی آشنا